farming is very stressful. And my dad turned to drinking and that became a problem. He's overcome it. He's over four years dry now. I'm super proud of him. But that was a time where I was like, is this place worth all this sacrifice? Literal blood, sh- blood, sweat, and tears. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. Caitlin Thornton has over a quarter million followers on social media. But the young orchardist outside of Tenasket, Washington, is the real deal. And we visit her orchard here on this episode of the Real Food, Real People podcast to learn about the blood, sweat, and tears that goes into growing some of the most delicious apples and pears in the world. So you're all about food. You're talking about food on your social media all the time, specifically fruit. Yes, apples. Apples and pears. And pears. But I'm known as the apple girl. The apple girl. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because the the reason I, I'm saying this is because you're always talking about sugar bee apples. Yeah. Those right? are my, like, probably my favorite apple variety. And I literally just saw you eating one. Yes. As we were getting ready for the, <laughs> yeah. for the interview. I picked up a box from the <laughs> warehouse yesterday. <laughs> and, like, I've been having some deep cravings for them. But this time of year, like, usually I have my apples all stored over in that shed over there because I pack fruit in the, the fall time. But... We're out of them right now, so I have to go to the warehouse and buy back our own fruit. So talk <laughs> about some of the different... You say sugar bee, one of your favorite, but mm-hmm. what is that? What are the other choices? like, so, Especially for somebody like doing recipes, what are they going to buy at the store? Baking, fresh eating, all this different stuff. Yeah, I, I think we are... Um, the consumers are moving towards more of like a raw eating experience, uh, not as much baking, but all of these apples are pretty versatile, uh, on the modern market for baking and stuff. But I always classify people as either they're a a tart apple person or they're a sweet apple person. And I'm like a sweet apple person. Mm -hmm. And so the sugar bee definitely leans on that side, um, but it's a sweeter apple with a little bit of acidity, so it's not, like, overwhelmingly sweet. And then we grow Cosmic Crisp, which is yep. a newer variety. And I would say that's a more of a sweet, tart, like, complex flavor. Which I was just going to say, with apples, I like both. Sweet yeah. and tart. And Cosmic Crisp are kind of my favorite right now. I know. They do really well. And that, I think that's my second favorite. Um, and those are really... I mean, apples like Sugar Bee and Cosmic Crisp that have these more, like, complex flavors. I always say for, like, my customers, get some of those and then maybe a more traditional variety that doesn't have, like, an overwhelming flavor like Granny Smith or um, Golden Delicious that has a lot of that natural pectin. And that makes great, like, pies or apple Oh, I didn't know that. I just was thinking about, like, the flavor, but Mm -hmm. there's natural pectin in it to, like, thicken up a Mm -hmm. pie filling. Yeah. So, like... I mean, these like newer apples with a Honeycrisp parentage, they're naturally more juicy. And that means like that it's going to have a great flavor for pie, but it's just going to be a little bit juicier, a little more watery. So I always tell my customers either get a pairing apple that has more of that natural pectin or just add some uh, flour to those recipes and stuff. But I'm not a huge baker. I'm more of a cooker. So I go for the raw eating experience. Okay. Well, since I have an apple expert here (laughs) and you've touched on pies, apple pie, I mean, it's just one of these things, right? Yes. Yes. But I have something that needs to be settled. Oh dear. When you get apple pie, sometimes the filling is smooth and soft Mm -hmm. and sometimes the apples still have a bit of crunch 
to them? Yeah. What's the right way? Um, you're just going to have to, like, I think baking a lot of times and cooking is just like experimenting. So it depends on what varieties you get. Um, with these like newer varieties, like Cosmic Crisp, those will tend to be a little more crunchy. You just have to cook them for longer, um, at a lower temperature. And so you'll get that more softness. Mm -hmm. But I see a lot of people just like cook up a bunch of apple pie filling and then they make the crust later on and then they have an apple pie instead of doing it all at once. And I think that's probably a better way so you can actually play around with the apple filling and make sure it's like the right consistency. That was still good information, but still a very political answer. I have to give you a hard time. What's the right way? I'm a diplomat. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I'm waiting for you to say the the thing that I agree with. Otherwise, I'll have to have an argument with you. (laughs) Honestly, I don't know. I'm not the baker of my family. That would be my sister. I get, I. But if you're eating a pie. What do you, you what want? Do, I prefer? do you want to bite into that piece of of apple pie, and do you want to have the apple crunch, or do you want it to be? I want like it smooth. smooth. I want it smooth. <laughs> that is the right answer. I I, I know I, not everyone agree. I'm probably going to ignite some kind of debate well, based on this conversation. People are seriously so serious about their apples. <laughs> I have found this through my social media. Like I post, I post. <laughs> there's this TikTok filter, and it like puts on your head. It's like. Um, what apple are you or whatever and it like shows up and I started giving like reviews on whatever apple popped up and I was like I was like Macintosh I was like it's like biting into a potato blah blah blah. and my comments were like how dare you like tarnish the Macintosh name and like they were so serious about it and people like they are they find their favorite apple variety and it's really hard to get them to budge from that so yeah I found that out the hard way so what what do most people say in your experience, what um, their favorite apple is? Honeycrisp right now. Really? Honeycrisp is like a household name at this point. Yeah. And then there's like... I like them, but Cosmic Crisp are just so much better. And that's like... This be- is just personal opinion. And that's because people like, they don't tend to, to like... There's so many apple varieties coming out that it's kind of overwhelming for the customer. And yeah. so they're they're trying to be more wise about where they're putting their dollar. And so it's like, yeah. they're they're looking at all these different red apple varieties and they're like... This is too much. I'm just going to go with what I know is good, even yep. though there is, like, a better option than Honeycrisp, in my opinion. Of course, like, a Honeycrisp app, like, off of the off of the tree, like, we can have, that's a yep. totally different yeah. eating experience. Yep. And so I get a little snobbish about my Honeycrisp. But even so, that, I mean, even in the consumer experience, people who can't live next door to the orchard, <laughs> that is still some people's favorite. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's huge, but... I don't know. I think people are starting to explore other varieties more. Yeah. And that's that's good for us because we grow. I think we're like at 10 different apple varieties just on our farm. And mm-hmm. then there's a ridiculous amount on the market. So right what now. kinds do you guys grow? So we grow Honeycrisp, um, Golden Delicious, Red Delicious, uh, Honey. Did I say Honeycrisp? <laughs> yeah. Brayburn, yeah. a little bit of Brayburn, uh, Pink Lady, Granny yep. Smith, Cosmic Crisp, Sugar Bee. <laughs> and then Fuji's. We had some pinata. I think we still have some pinata. I don't say know. I've ever had one of those. They're pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's another one of those just like newer varieties. And the hard thing is like as a farmer, you're 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 gambling because yeah. if you plant a tree or you graft over a tree, it's going to be a minimum of three years before you see any production on that. And so you're like, we're just putting this in the hands of the marketers. Yeah. What and are people going to want to buy in three to five years? Like, exactly. The, you have a crystal ball for that. Exactly. <laughs> and so it's like, if it fails, we got to, 
yeah. hopefully have enough the, of the funds to either rip out that orchard or graft over or just react. Yeah. I always tell people like farming is about reacting. Yeah. Whether it's day to day, month to month or year to yeah. year. So what about practices? How you grow these apples? Mm-hmm. How much difference does that make in how they taste, what they look like? Like what all goes into it throughout the year? Um, She's thinking, oh, yeah, so much. There, <laughs> so many uh, things. There's so many things. I mean, a lot of it comes down to just being vigilant. Um, early on in the year, you've got, you're doing frost control. So it's getting up night after night, making sure those blooms are protected. Um, and then making calls early on in the year. Do we, do we chemical thin these blooms? Do we know, do we feel like we have a heavy enough bloom that we can thin off of these? Well, what if it's like this past spring has been overcast and stuff and the bees aren't as active. And so they're not as willing to, um, pollinate that fruit, those bl- blossoms. And if those yeah. blossoms don't get pollinated, they don't turn into pieces of fruit. And so of course it's a lot of gambling. And, um, that's why I respect my dad so much is because he has a feel for his land. He can feel like the different air currents, what a night's mm-hmm. going to be like, even if there are all the modern technologies of, you know, what is this temperature at this specific moment? Yeah, I was you talking about that with Pedro Cuevas a few weeks ago yeah. from Semios. Okay. Uh, yeah, about all the technology that they have, all this pinpoint information. But, but you can't rely on it always. You have to have that. It's I mean, a tool. It's one of it's the tools. Tool. But one of the best tools yeah. is the instincts that, like you're saying, your dad has developed over decades. Oh, yeah. Dad still likes the like traditional thermometer that you go out and you read <laughs> instead of going on an app and yeah. stuff. He's like, no, I'm going to see for myself or he'll like stick his hand out the window and he's like yeah okay yeah that's well and he'll know his orchards too so he'll know like okay if it's this warm here Mm -hmm. it's gonna be a little bit cooler down in that draw yes okay this is gonna be a problem we get little pockets and that's i mean that is what makes great fruit apples uh specifically like really hilly ground but that like with all those hills and like the mountains kind of surrounding you get different air currents and stuff and you just have to be aware of where those pockets are and where you need to be more vigilant. And I've learned a lot, like even being like six years old and riding on the four wheeler with dad, we'd go on the driveway up to my house and it's a bit of a grade. And he's like, you're going to feel the temperature change. And Mm -hmm. sure enough, up at my house, um, just that elevation change, you feel warmer air right up there. So, and that's something that I probably would never even think about. (laughs) I know. You know? Yeah. It's, it's all the microclimates that happen why is it that apples like hilly terrain i don't know i think they like a challenge (laughs) (laughs) no they they like um honestly they do better in kind of sandier soil i mean you don't want super sandy soil but they especially like honey crisp honey crisp don't usually like the super lush ground and stuff they like to have to kind of work for it a little more Mm. whereas we have our pears on the river bottom river bottom ground that we have that has that nutrient rich soil and they just do better there than if we had apples and i don't know specifically why they like hills so much but we've just found like up in this area, we call this the blue and white because we have two two different companies, Bronze Star and then Blue and White Orchards. Mm. Blue and White grows beautiful apples um, just because we have all these surrounding mountains. We get those hot days, but it cools off earlier in the evening because yeah. of that shade. Um, that's what apples need, and that's why they the grow. cycle of the warm and cool. Yeah. yeah. And, like, they grow fruit on the East Coast, right? But... They struggle because they don't have the intense heat that we do, and then they get more of that moisture. And, um, because it is more of a desert climate up here, 
we don't need that intense moisture all the time. Yeah. So. Well, I've, oh, I've always wondered that, like, they couldn't find a flat spot to grow some apples. I mean, there are flat orchards, <laughs> flatter terrain orchards. Yeah. But usually you see this kind of, and especially driving around this part of the state, it's like all these orchards way up on the you know, you know hills. It's it like, is? that's, look at that. <laughs> I know from having worked in raspberry fields on flat terrain, this would be a pain in the neck to deal with all this up and down. But you know what? It's really fun when you're on a four-wheeler because when this, blo- this block was just planted, dad would take us on the four-wheeler and we called it Whoopie Hill. We would go really fast <laughs> and you like, you know, your stomach jumps up a little. That was totally. the most exciting totally. thing that we could do on the farm. So we, had, we have a lot of fun with it. But dad and I were talking the other day. We're like, Oh, he goes, he goes, you know, you'd really like a flat open space like that. He's like, for my horse, uh, he's like, you've, you've only known up and down. <laughs> so my horse gets a good workout, but yeah. it would be nice to have some like open ground to just kind of run on. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but, yeah. So how, how did you come to be the farmer that you are? I mean, you're growing up around it, obviously, but at some <laughs> point you decided like, I want to be more connected to this. Mm, yeah. I mean, I, I was literally born in that house over there. And so growing up, I have three three other siblings, and we grew up doing, like, chores, like changing water and doing that stuff. In middle school, I feel like every farm kid, maybe, like most farm kids kind of go through this, like, I don't want to do anything with the farm. I want to be, like, <laughs> above yeah. that or whatever. So, like, yeah. in, in middle school, I started, like, I was just wearing, like, skinny jeans and, like, I was like a little fashionista, right? <laughs> and then I, I fell in love with like the country life and um, seeing a bit more of the world and seeing how, I, I think at a young age, I, I realized how cool it is to grow up on a farm yep. and how many opportunities I have here um, that not other kids do. Yep. And I think that realization came with a lot of social media too and seeing like what other people's lives were and did I really want that for myself? Did I want yeah. to live in a sub- suburban area? No, I fa- I figured that out. So I started wearing boot cut jeans and here we are. <laughs> <laughs> it all started with the boot, the boot cut, cut jeans. jeans. Of course, I was wow. a little string bean and so they were all like high waters on me. So, <laughs> But I, I found my, my place with Wranglers. Yeah. So, so when was this about? Like how old? Um, when I turned 15, probably. 15, and you decided to embrace the country farm yeah, life. And, and the, put on the bootcut jeans. Yeah. Okay. And like learning how to how to drive and then realizing dad was like, you're driving that. And I was like, that's a big pickup. <laughs> <laughs> but then I, I loved like driving a manual. Mm-hmm. And I was like, honestly, uh, that was in, during the time. Farming is very stressful. And my dad turned to drinking and that became a problem. He's overcome it. He's over four years dry now. I'm super proud of him. But that was a time where I was like, is this place worth all this sacrifice? Literal blood, blood, sweat and tears. Um, Do we want to keep this place? Is it worth it? Well, overcoming all those obstacles and stuff, I, I fell in love with this place because of how much heartache has gone into it. And I've seen the ups and I've seen the downs. Yeah. And I feel like that was a real litmus test. (laughs) Do I really want this? Um, And I I guess I just have the heart for it. I think it's worth it. What was going on that caused so much stress? Um, Growing, buying more acreage, and expanding. My dad, my parents started with like 23 acres. Hmm. Um, And now we're up to like 420 or 440 operational acres. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a ridiculous amount of growth for one generation yeah. to do. 
But my dad and mom were opportunists. And when people, unfortunately, would go out of business, they saw that as an opportunity. Even if we're struggling with money, we got to get that land. We got to farm more. Um, Dad did everything, just, just about everything, up until like 100 acres. And then it's like you get to that point where you're having to delegate all these different jobs instead of micromanaging. And you're trying to figure out how do we get... A good amount of labor. How how do we delegate all these different jobs and these responsibilities? And that breaks a lot of people. I mean, it's a lot of change. Yeah. And then um, the market was really crazy. Um, I think one year there was a lot of like protests, uh, mm. and they were dumping a lot of fruit. And it's just like all these things that you have no control over, yeah. and that's really hard. So it all just piled on. He was carrying a huge weight. Yeah, and uh, he was looking for rest, and um, a doctor actually told him, like, maybe you should have a glass of wine. Well, he's a, he has an addictive personality, and you yeah. just you don't realize that. And so that just, it snowballed. And so you're looking for rest, and mm. you start drinking, always looking for that, that rest. And then he was just a functioning alcoholic until things took a turn. And um, here we are today. He's, yeah. he's an incredible man because of it and overcoming that. Well, that story... Uh, that progression that you just described that he went through dealing with stress mm-hmm. is so common mm-hmm. in the farming world. Yeah. Right? Like I know so many people who've been through that or something very similar to that. Yeah. And, um, you asked me like, why, why, how did I get to this point? Yeah. Well, when I was 15 and a half, my mom took off and so she left and she hasn't been back since she decided she didn't want to be a part of the farm. She didn't want that lifestyle. Mm. Um, and so, like, I took on a lot of responsibility, and I, fi- I figured out that I actually kind of like it. It's stressful, but I like the pressure of having different responsibilities, and I, I found freedom, and then I needed an outlet. Um, <laughs> so my sophomore year, uh, Dad was like, we've got some apricot trees. My older siblings used to pick them all and um, then take them up to Republic, a, a town 60 miles east of us, and just sell at a bulk price, Um for a bulk amount of fruit, right? I mean, there's a seven-year gap between my sister and I, and so it gets. I got to the point where, like, you have an opportunity to sell this fruit. Yep. Well, I was like, I'm gonna do things different because I'm the third kid and I do things a little different. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, I'm gonna utilize Facebook Marketplace. So I posted an ad, and I couldn't even drive yet. It was a couple days before I turned 16. So I was like, here, I'll deliver the fruit to you. I'm selling it. It was a pretty like entry-level price just to get people to try my fruit. And so I'd get up at like five in the morning because I didn't want to deal with the heat. I'd pack my fruit. I got some orders. People took pity on the little kid, you know, and <laughs> and I, I had to have one of our employees actually drive me to my meetup location. And then dad challenged me. He's like, if you sell 20 boxes, I'll be super proud of you. And then I sold 44 boxes that year. And I was like, I'm going to do this more. And he's like, my dad loves passion. So he saw my passion and he's like, girl likes to sell stuff. And I love talking to people. And I I really came out of my shell because of that stuff. And so he's like, sell some pears. And then I got into apples and that's, I sold over 400 boxes that first year. And I made it my FFA project. Um, And then my senior year, I sold over 1200 boxes. So it's called Kate's Crates. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And it can be found where? Um, on Facebook. On Facebook. It's a very like local thing, but dad yeah. and I just bought a warehouse this year. And he's like, again, with the passion, he's like, if you want to take this to the next level, go for it. Of course, I'm in college. And so it'll yeah. be in the works. But yeah, 
I might make it a, a bigger thing. Thank you for coming along with us this week as we visit with Caitlin Thornton in Tenasket. We'll get right back to that conversation, but I do need to thank our sponsors. First, Dairy Farmers of Washington just had a great event. If you missed it, Whatcom This Way um, Dairy Farm Tours. Sounds like it went so well that maybe they'll do that again in the future. And we'll definitely let you know about it here. But Dairy Farmers of Washington, it's, it's a, a collaborative effort between all the folks producing dairy products in Washington State saying, hey, we want to kind of pool our resources and let everybody know about what we're doing here in Washington State, what goes into the milk, the dairy products that we produce, just how good they are for you and how sustainable they can be. Uh, the way that we do it here in Washington. So check out their website, wadairy.org is where you can find them, Dairy Farmers of Washington. Also, Mana Insurance Group uh, supporting this podcast, a great outfit that also believes in this whole authenticity thing. Um, they don't like to fake stuff. They aren't going to you know, try to sell you on something that they don't personally believe in. It was a, an insurance outfit started by a friend of mine from high school. I've known him for a long, long time. And uh, I have a lot of trust for him and his team there at Mana Insurance Group. Again, manainsurancegroup.com is where you can find them. Now we get back to Tenasket, Washington, and our conversation with orchardist Caitlin Thornton. So you're in, in college now. What year are you in? What are you studying? What Where are you going? <laughs> I'm going to Washington State University. Nice. Go Cougs. <laughs> <laughs> and I did uh, the Running Start program, so I graduated high school with my AA. Mm. So this year will be technically like my senior year, but I've got a, a year and a half left to do. And I'm studying marketing. Nice. So I'm just getting a general like business degree in marketing, mm -hmm. and then I'm going back into ag with that. I totally wish I would have gotten some, like a business minor or something. Mm -hmm. I should have. It's really cool. I, li I like my classes a lot, especially WSU has a great business college. So marketing, how did, I mean, I think that sounds fairly obvious why you're into that, but where do you see that going? What do you, what do you <laughs> want to do? Um, when I was 16, so they were launching the this, this sugary apple. It's really just like my roots there. This is my baby. <laughs> Everything goes back to the sugar bee <laughs> the apple. The sugar bee apple. Uh, they were launching this new apple variety, and we had about 20 acres at the time. We're, now we're up to 50 acres of it. But um, we really want this thing to go, and so we were invited by Chalene Fresh, the marketing company that is in charge of um, all the marketing for sugar bee. They were doing um, all these demos in different stores, and they invited growers to come along, um, all expenses paid, and they invited my dad, and my dad's like, oh, he does not like to leave the farm. Yeah. This man, when he was younger, he, like, went, his dad took him all over the world, like, mm. South America in the 70s, wild times. Wow. You know, and so he's like, I've built my paradise yeah. on this farm. I don't want to go. And I'm like, Dad, we got to go. We got to go. <laughs> and so it, they were they were introducing um, the apple to giant uh, retail store, Giant Foods or okay. whatever it is, yeah. uh, back on the East Coast. And my mom's from the East Coast. So I was like, I want to go to the East Coast. Like, sounds like a good time to me. And so I, I got to go along on that and be in the stores and talk to consumers and be like, hey, I grew this apple and people, I saw how that resonated with people. And I'm like, this is cool. We need to make this connection more. And um, just telling my story and, and that's where I also fell in love with my roots is just like seeing how that resonated with people and they like to hear the story of where their food came from. And Chelan Fresh, um, 
the their CEO Tom Reagan recognized my passion too, and he's like, "We need to like further this." And um, so they invited me on more trips. I got to go to Walmart like headquarters area, Bentonville, Arkansas. Wow, that was pretty cool, and got to be in a parade there. Um, handed out a bunch of apples, and then um, I started doing work with them and running their their TikTok page for Sugar Bee Apple uh, this past year and just really fell in love with it and making all those connections and hearing from different farmers and just the marketing side. I What I love about social media is as a farmer, you can bridge that gap between consumers and producers. That has been yeah. really significant in these past couple of years. Talk about social media. When did you start your social media posting? Because you have quite a following. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, I, it kind of started with Instagram and I was like, I kind of want to be like one of those people who has like a few thousand followers. And so I thought it was a big deal when I had like 2000 followers on Instagram or whatever. And then came about this app called TikTok. And this was back when it was like weird. It was weird to have TikTok. Like, yeah. but I saw an ad for it and I was like, this is kind of fun. And I downloaded it and it, it was like a bunch of dancing videos then, but yeah. I was like, this is cool. And I posted some videos from uh my camera roll, just like footage I had. Stuff you had already taken. And I think one video of our Peterbilt trucks rolling out of the shop that got like sixteen thousand views and I was like, this can't be real. Wow. And <laughs> like just of trucks, mm -hmm. were you saying anything? Were you in no, it? No, I just put like some music on it. And but that's like that was like when the app was just starting out. And so people were, I guess, people were just looking for something that wasn't a dancing video, yeah, at that point, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I was like, this, I was like, this can't be real. I don't think those are real views or whatever. But sure enough, people were commenting and stuff. Yeah. And that's back when the app was especially there was not a whole lot of content creators, but there was a lot of viewers because. They were looking for the next, I don't know if you remember, the Vine app. Um, yeah, they were looking right. for that thing of just like this short, um, just short clips of entertainment and stuff. Um, because our attention spans are like that big. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and so, I accuse everyone else of that, but it's really true about It is too. very <laughs> true. Um, just that's what consumers want. And then I posted like more videos. And one time I was, I took my little brother to Reno because he had a baseball tournament down there. And I took this big old blue truck, 1995 power stroke <laughs> with a manual. And if anyone knows like seven, three engines, they are run off of high pressure oil pump. And so you got a lot of high pressure oil going through your engine. And so it's normal for them to like leak oil. So anyone who's a truck enthusiast knows that. And so I posted a video, and this is my first time parking in a parking garage. So this is a little country yeah. bumpkin was a big deal. But I noticed yeah. that there's this pattern, the, like the four spots that I parked at, there's the same like oil drop pattern. And so I took a video that I was like, hmm, everyone else's Must be spot, the same engine. Yeah, has, uh, <laughs> has like no oil spots except for mine. And that got like 250,000 views. And I was like, this is this is wild. And so I kind of just took off from there. And then people really fell in love with my videos of my dad talking about his pickups and like different stories. And I got it up to like 30,000 followers. And then I was like, you know what? As I fell in love with the Apple industry and the pear industry, I was like, I'm going to start talking about farming, see what people like. And just went from there. Um, and then before college, I had 80,000 followers and I just kept working at it. And now I'm almost to 220,000 followers. So. Crazy. And mm -hmm. how many on Instagram? 
21,000. It's nuts. Yeah. But almost a quarter million people follow you on TikTok. I know. That's crazy. I know. It's wild. So now, because of that, you have a platform. Mm-hmm. What does that feel like? It's a lot of responsibility because yeah. I know people like, especially on TikTok, people really pay attention to what you say and they like to fact check you a lot. Um, cause like they want to argue or what? Yeah. And the first form of entertainment in TikTok is the video itself. But then people always go to the comments because that's the second form of entertainment. Yeah. And so people like to say the most outlandish things on TikTok. Yep. And then they also like to say, no, you're wrong yeah. in a lot of stuff. Um, but I like to flip it around as like, hey, no, this is an opportunity for education. Because if you genuinely feel that way and it's wrong, here, I'm going to explain why you're wrong in the nicest way I can possibly. Um, because I realize there's just a, a lot of that disconnect between the producer and the consumer. And um, instead of having all this angst, let's just use it like as an opportunity to learn. Let's diffuse the situation um, and any anger towards farmers. Yeah. And but so, how do you keep that from going on and on? Because I've been involved in those kinds of back and forth. Like you post something, someone says, no, that's not really the way it is. And then you come back and say, mm, actually it is, but yes, I can see where you <laughs> thought this, but you know, and then it just starts going around and, well, I know somebody who does this and I, and other people jump in and it can go on forever. And it's like, when do you stop? Mm -hmm. One of my favorite sayings is don't let the inmates run the asylum. <laughs> yeah. And so yep. when you are a content creator, remember it is your page. You are in complete control. I yep. Sometimes I just delete comments because I'm like, that's that's stupid. I'm not even going to respond to this and I'm not going to have this negativity on my but page. Some people will be like, oh, you're censoring. You're hiding the truth. Delete those comments. <laughs> 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 no, no. Honestly, I, well, I have I, a really yeah. positive audience. Yes, there's sometimes a few of those negative, but the ratio of positive to negative is yeah. so much more on the positive side. And I really enjoy that. And I really try to bring like an excitement and enthusiasm to show like, Hey, apple farming is cool. We might not have cows that are really cute to look at, <laughs> but we got apples yeah. and those are really yummy. And yeah. there is a lot of work that goes into it and I love it. And I want to show how much I love it. So you guys love it kind of thing. Um, but yes, the negativity, how, how much has all that changed as you've gotten so much bigger in your following, like dealing mm -hmm. with people and random stuff from all over the world? Hmm. I used to, like, when I had less of a following, read through every single comment. I don't as much anymore. I just go and look at, like, what are people typically saying and do I even respond to that? Is it worth it? Are they looking for personal clout or hmm. do they genuinely have a question? Um yeah. Because they may be trying to m make you look bad, but actually they're just doing it for their whatever game that they're playing that oh, isn't yeah. necessarily authentic at all. Yeah. And then, of course, like, I am a country girl on, on TikTok, and there are a lot of posers, I guess. And so people like to poke <laughs> holes in my authenticity. And, like, not necessarily, like, what I'm saying about farming, but, like, if I wear a cowboy hat or something. Like, I had a video <laughs> where I was, like, you know, in my pickup or whatever, and people are like, get out of your dad's truck or whatever. And I'm like, no, see, this is all I've got, okay? If I yep. could have a nicer, newer pickup, I probably would, but this is my 1995 power stroke, and I'm making it work, okay? Um, so people try to question my validity yeah. when it comes to my country lifestyle. Yeah. Well, I think you've proven yourself not just with your knowledge of orcharding what's the right word orchard orcharding. An, orcharding yeah and you're an orchardist i'm an orchardist 
Far- farming. I mean, do, do orchard people not like to be called farmers? They want to be called orchardists instead. Is that a thing? No, Dad's always like, "I'm an old farmer," so that's that. Yeah. We're farmers. Okay, good. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah, no farming. Sorry, to- total side note. But you have totally proven yourself with your knowledge of mm-hmm. the farming side of things. Yeah. And then I will say that comment just a few minutes ago about seven three diesels. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Okay. No poser just drops that kind of info. Okay. Do you know so. how many t- hours I've spent on for old forums talking about this <laughs> engine and trying to figure out the problem? Because dad's like, I'm not a mechanic. I'm not dealing with it. You figure out the problem. And I'm like, okay. And I'm using every ro- resource I can. Plus, um, I've seen every single part of this industry, whether it is the marketing side, it's the growing side, but I've also seen the transportation side. Um, good family friend of ours, David Hanna, has a, um, he has a truck transportation shop. And when I was 16, I spent the summer there just like learning about big rigs and engines and helping wherever I can. People would crack up, they'd come up to the shop and I'd be covered in grease. (laughs) And it doesn't mean I am a mechanic, but I've got in there and I've seen the sides and of that and the hardships that those truckers face, um, trying to transport, transport, our apples and pears and yeah. all that stuff. And it's an I, important far, part of the food system that people, I oh. don't even really think about very much. Oh, hugely. I mean, it, it comes down to um, when they arrive at a store that has ordered such an amount of pallets, do they take off that, that apple box lid and they're like, these aren't good apples, reject. Right. Then we don't get money. Yeah. So there's there's so several like levels that these these pieces of fruit have to go through and it's yeah so your precious cargo that's going to pay your bills and hopefully you know make it so you can keep going for the next year as so many farmers talk about and i know because i lived that with my family too is year by year hopefully Mm -hmm. we make it to another one yeah but that precious cargo is in that truck driver's hands oh and they could potentially destroy it absolutely you have to trust them Absolutely. It's a huge team effort and there is a lot of room for error. And so everyone has to do their job. So whether we're the growers and we grow the best fruit that we can and we spend the money where we need to spend the money and um, make sure that we're protecting those fruit. And then when it comes down to it, like I was hauling um, shale today, fixing our roads. So we don't have super bumpy roads when we put that fruit, even if it is an air ride trailer, um, just minimizing that that damage margin all the things that you don't think about yeah i know (laughs) what are the big pressures right now other than you know the normal stuff which is weather's challenging markets are challenging what what makes it tough day to day for you guys labor yeah um regulation is a huge thing it's like it what it comes down to it a big buzzword right now is sustainable sustainable farming yeah well, Dad and I have talked about it. He says, what's sustainable to me is keeping this operation going and yeah. farming. And you know how many families that we support um, in several different communities through this industry? Um, if you make it hard for us to manage people, it, y- you get to a point where it's a breaking point. Um, they just passed, so we have to pay overtime now in agriculture. Mm-hmm. That means we can't give extra hours to people anymore. Why? That means... Because we're, we're going to have to pay them so much more versus we're just going to get a ridiculous amount of people working for us. I mean, just a lot more people working for us, and they're going to have less hours. Mm. So, so le- less hours per person, 
less money made per person because I've heard this from other growers yep. as well. Yeah. Well, I'll ask you the same, even though I think I know what the answer is, I'll ask you the question anyway. Why don't you just pay them more? I mean, that that's what often people would say who aren't familiar maybe with the economics of it. We're up over $17.5 now an hour. And we're, we're using what we call the H-2A program. I'm sure you've heard of it. Mm-hmm. And we are so thankful for that program because it is incredible. And we have an amazing crew, like such studs. We just... These guys are awesome. We have some of them that have come back year after year. And it's really, they're such a unit. And we call them infantry because they're such studs. And they get yeah. after it. And they, they do good work. And they're good, honest guys. Um, whereas I've seen the years where my parents are like, we don't know if we have enough guys, if we can get this fruit picked. Well, now we have enough people to, to pick the fruit. But there's there's just a lot of red tape around a lot of different things. Yeah. So, so you, you couldn't hire all those jobs like from local or domestic no. workers? No. Um, I remember like being in elementary school and this was like, what, 2010 or something. And I just remember my parents talking about, you know, can do you think we can borrow some um, some guys from so-and-so? Yeah. Um, and like the local farmers, we'd have to share labor um, and really communicate that way. Okay, I don't need to prick on this day. You can use my guys. Because it was a huge issue, and and it was the guys that were working kind of um, had more control over us. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas it's like we don't have time to go back and forth like this and have to deal with guys that are are not going to show up for work one day or whatever. But with this contract work, um, we provide housing for them. That my mom was like the first one to get into all of that um, around this area, and that is a huge process in itself because yeah. you have to meet all these different criteria. Um, which is understandable because there was a time where like housing in this industry was terrible. Like Mm -hmm. there was not good things happening. Uh, but the pendulum swings the entirely different way. It's like, okay, (laughs) now we got to focus on farming. We can't worry about, um, all these different requirements for housing and stuff. So it's finding that balance. And we understand that these regulations, they come from good intention, um, being advocates for, our labor force, but I don't think they realize that that labor force, they're, they're, they've become family at this point, and we do want what's best for them, and we want to give them the hours that they deserve, but we can't kill ourselves off in the process. Yeah, if, if you can't afford it and you go out of business, then you aren't there to provide any jobs for anybody. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. But also, I mean, what are the workers saying about it? Because I've heard that, well, people would think, even I, if I didn't understand the issue, I would think, well, yeah, hey, getting paid overtime, you're getting paid time and a half rather than just straight time. Oh, well, that sounds great. Yeah. But I'm, I've been hearing from workers who are unhappy about it. Oh, absolutely. Because y- you got to think about it this way. Their overtime hours are literally just being given to someone else. Hmm. Um, so they don't get the overtime hours someone else is just going to take their hours but at a normal hourly rate right um so their hours are just spread over more people and that so what are workers doing then if they're only getting 40 hours a week and i've heard some people say kind of hold that as the ideal that anybody should only be working 40 hours a week and in my mind growing up in the culture that i did it's like there would be a lot of hungry people if farmers only worked 40 hours a week (laughs) i mean i know because there's work that's got to get done but you know what what happens to those families then that rely on that income because their income would be way down. This is a rural area. There are not a, a ton of different ways to make money. If you can find a good job that has enough hours to support your family, and I know a lot of these guys that work for us have at minimum four kids 
and it, it's just not doable anymore. All these different things you have to pay for with kids and stuff and just keeping food on the table and good food that are going to feed their families. It, it's, it's hard. Um, it's hard to survive around here because there, there's not a ton of money. I mean, there's a lot of people that are like in legitimate poverty around here. And you come to have relationships with all of these people that, that work for you. And you realize how many people you're providing a living for. But, and so you don't want to be the bad guy, but you got to keep this place going. And so yeah, it, it is a difficult <laughs> situation to happen. You also mentioned, um, well, you said regulations. What other like regulations? We've been talking about labor, but. Um, less effective chemical for spraying. I mean, I know you have to be careful with saying anything around the word spray, but I think it needs to be talked about. We, we, um, that's what we do on this podcast. Just real talk. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, I think it is good to talk about things because, um, I, I feel like if you leave people to assume things instead of coming out and saying it, um, that's where a lot of errors happen and a lot of miscommunication and misinformation happens. Um, so as far as sprays, I, I don't think people realize that we have those sprayers and they're full of water and then you pour like this much chemical into it, you know, like barely any, mm-hmm. um, and into so a huge, it's like, deeply, 500 gallon tank. yeah, it's diluted a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get it, it's for personal safety of like our tractor drivers and stuff, but then you're having less effective, um, sprays. And then especially in this past couple of years, things have gone up in price so much. And so it's like, why do I have to pay more for a chemical that is less effective? And then you're looking at like, um, uh, thrip. Have you heard of thrip? The bugs? Yeah. Oh yeah. And so they, they can damage a crop just, um, cosmetically, not Mm -hmm. like, not like misshape them or anything, but it's still an issue when you're trying to sell fruit these cosmetic issues caused by syrup. Well, syrup has never really been a problem up here, but in the past couple of years, it's become more of an issue. And so you will look at it. Um, does it come down to the effectiveness of our chemicals or what is going on? Um, that this is an issue because, um, in orchards, you're always trying to keep a balance of all these different habitats. Um, you want to keep the, the good bugs alive and the bad bugs minimal. Yep. Right? Exactly. And so you're, you're always trying to find that balance. And, of course, orchardists want their crops to look nice. Like, Dad is so bothered by orga- our organic blocks. They're great. They're doing good. But they just don't look as good. And that's, like, why he likes our, our more commercial blocks because they're just better kept and happier trees, you know? Yeah. I learned about that at the very beginning, first season of the podcast, talking with uh, April Clayton down in Arondo mm-hmm. about, because they do mostly organic, they do some conventional, and they actually had to switch to conventional with their cherries because the organic products that they were having to use, and that, that's, the, I, I think, a big misunderstanding. People hear organic, they think that means no spray. No, there are still mm-hmm. things used to, unless you want your your fruit literally full of bugs and other, you know, blight and mold and all these other things, you gotta, you gotta do stuff. Right. And, and the organic stuff, actually you have to apply it way more often and it can actually be more harmful I than know. the synthetic stuff. But there's this false dichotomy, I think of, you know, conventional, bad, organic, good. Yeah. It's not that simple. Yeah. Hugely. Um, yeah. I know some of the sprays like, uh, that we use for both commercial and organic. Like I have to go and park my pickup elsewhere because it's corrosive and it'll eat the paint on my pickup. So like 
that's still stuff that's going on or on organic blocks and people don't realize that. And then there's people who bless their heart. They have our backyard apple tree. Well, they're the ones who end up with all the apple maggots and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then that can be contagious to our fruit on a commercial organization. And that becomes a huge problem. But it's all these people who think that like, oh, I don't use any sprays on my backyard trees. Well, that becomes an issue for the whole state. <laughs> if it's you let it get like out what of control. Yeah, it's kind of like what we've been through with the pandemic. You know, stop, yes. the, stop the spread. If you're yes. the person that's going around with the bug. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And in this case, it's literal bugs, but they spread just the same. Right? Oh, yeah. And I, I mean, I think a lot of the regulation is, that has come out in recent years are still playing off of things that happened in like the 60s, 70s, 80s, where things were bad and we had to make changes. But it gets to the point where it's like, okay, we get it. you're being an advocate for the consumers or the labor force and stuff, but you have to still keep these farmers afloat. And so let's let's not go out of bounds here. Um, and then that's when I, I encourage anyone who's making laws like this stuff, come out to the farm, see what it's like, see the people you're truly effective affecting. Um, I've heard my parents complain about it since I was little. It's like you have all these people that are in offices making these rules for people that are down here. I mean, if you don't have any dirt on your boots, Mm. (laughs) theoretically, if you don't know what a seven, three power stroke (laughs) diesel is. (laughs) what business do you yeah (laughs) yeah exactly like stop it (laughs) so where do you see yourself in 10 years 20 years like what what, what's what are the big dreams what are the goals i have so many i and dad's like that's a good way to be but i i still have to figure out what exactly i want to do because um dad says kate you need a you need a 36 hour day Uh, (laughs) because i would love to help run this place, which I plan to do, but I don't know how much hands-on I can do um, if I'm just going to be in a, a management position. Mm-hmm. And then we just bought this this warehouse, which actually my great-grandpa built um, back wow. back in the, I think it was the 20s or the 30s. So your family's been in this for a while. Mm-hmm. I'm fourth generation. Fourth generation. Yeah. Yep. What, what was the original grand grandpa and grandma? like? Grandpa Roy Thornton and Theo. What, what brought Thornton. them out here? Sorry, this is a total tangent, I don't, but I, I'm I don't fascinated know. by this. I don't know. They came out. Um, they came out here and they started in Kashmir, um, and then moved up this way. My grandpa had cattle and about a hundred acres of orchard, and through family dispute, my grandpa was one of eight kids, I believe. Wow. Um, yeah, and the last of those kids passed away this this last couple of weeks, and we had her no her funeral on uh, Friday. She was 101. Aunt Carol, yeah, and they all those kids helped on the packing line and would Mm. pack that fruit and get it all over the place. And it was really it was a happening place back in the day. And um, I'm working on buying their original house that's right across from the warehouse. And been going through the house because my one of my cousins actually owns it right now, but he wants to sell it to me. And we got the original like Pickers cabins. and it's just, there's so much family history. There's yeah. so many pictures of the old orchards and the packing lines. And then going into that warehouse, I'd love to open that warehouse up to, um, it's right off of Highway 97. So I've got all these like people coming down from Canada mm-hmm. and I'd love to open up to the public because I do, I love people and I love sharing my family history and my livelihood with people. 
And so if I could like blow up some of those pictures, put them on the walls, maybe have like a kind of a restaurant thing going on where people could get fresh fruit. I just planted 40 trees of peaches and nectarines that's in the works. Um, I'd like to make it kind of like a hubbub. Um, and then I I love my truckers. Of course I'd love for it to be a truck stop. People could stop (laughs) with their trucks, um, have a good place to stretch their legs and, um, maybe get a shower or something. And then also it's such a big warehouse, have some fruit running there and people yeah. can watch that process and stuff. So that's like, that's a dream. It, of mine. I, I like that cause it's bringing back the human connection mm-hmm. and a lot of it. And, and I, I'm understanding more and more all the time, the reasons for it, like efficiency says you have, you know, big fields, big systems, keep it simple, straightforward, clean, mm-hmm. Don't get the public involved because you know, there's like food safety issues to make sure things are clean and all that. But then it ends up being so separated yeah. from just the average Joe, like me driving down the road being like, wow, there's a lot of cool apple <laughs> orchards out here. But, you know, what else is my touch point no. to actually see it in person? And that, that is a huge thing we talk about. It's like making these impressions in people because when you're in a grocery store, it's easy to forget about like, where where did this actually come from? Yeah. Well, if I can be the person that people think of when they're looking at an apple, that is great. You know how many people have told me, I will never look at an apple the same because of you because I always just think of you when I see an apple. And I'm like, that is so cool. But people are missing that anymore because it yeah. used to, I mean, even 50 years ago, 30 years ago, people would be like, oh, yeah, my grandma had a tree in her backyard. Right. I used to love right. this variety or whatever. They'd have that connection to where it came from. And I think there's a lot to do with, like, your eating experience and your kind of connotation with that piece of produce, steak, whatever. Um, and so really bringing back that life to to what you're picking up in a grocery store. Yeah. Thanks for having me out here to the orchard. This is awesome. It's so quiet out here, and I can just... (laughs) Just wait till harvest. I can just hear the apples growing. (laughs) That's good. Not actually, which is great, because it's just so quiet out here. Yeah. It's really cool. I know. It's magical this time of year. That's why I love when my friends can come out here, because I love to show them around, because it's magical to me, and other people feel it, too. So, Where can people find you on the socials? Um, Caitlin Jill Thornton on Instagram and then Katie J Thornton O2 on TikTok. Don't forget the O2. Mm-hmm. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you again. I really yes. appreciate it. Thank you. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food. 